Welcome to Codex Rex, the video game history podcast. I'm your host, Tyler. And I am Dux, your co-host. And each episode, we tell a story about video game history. But before we get into that, hey, Dux, it's been a while. How you doing, dude? Man, I'm doing great. Um, life has been busy for me, but I'm, I'm chugging along. Things, things kind of fall into place, and I, I'm actually kind of enjoying life right now. I don't know. The world is burning, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Has there ever been an episode of this where we didn't start off by going, man, the world is burning? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I don't think um, so. I don't think so. I don't either. think a single one. Well, good, man. I'm glad. Um, how are you? How have you? Been? <laughs> <laughs> well, so first off to all of you, sorry that we haven't had an episode since December. Uh, we're recording here at the end of March. I don't know when you'll you'll hear this. I have been crazy busy post uh, dissertation, post PhD. Um, there was a big um, family emergency I had to go home and attend to. I was out of town for about a month. At the tail end of that journey, my laptop burned up and I was without a computer for about nine or 10 days. Uh, so it's been pretty hard to work on the podcast. So um, I'm back now. I'm getting back into a routine and uh, I banged out this episode so that we could get back to it. So sorry that we've been away, but we're happy to be back. I promise there is episodes half prepared lying around on my <laughs> digital devices i promise you know that's that's a i don't know what your writing style is like but i do that too i have an idea and then i like write furiously and then i don't touch it for like six months yeah because starting to write it is easy but then you get into the like the swamp mm -hmm. where you have to like do the real research and you're like oh, i can i'll just write a little note do more research on this and then i'll do more fluff and padding Yep. And, <laughs> and then you forget. Yep. Yeah. yeah. That's how it goes. But, um, yeah. well, so, uh, real quick, I also want to get out of the way. Uh, this is not going to be an episode on the Nintendo 64. Um, this is a divergence from that. I know that I said that I was going to do all of the Gen 5 consoles. I needed a break. I hit some writer's block. This is about something completely unrelated, though it does occur during the same time period. So if you were expecting an episode about the Nintendo, mm -hmm. Um, do stop listening to this episode and start writing hate mail yes, of to course. Tyler, as you always do, because we've been missing your hate and mail. And if you want to get into contact... Yeah, you, how would one <laughs> like to send us hate mail? How does that work, Tyler? You can find me on Twitch. I'm Vegan Tyler, and you can find us on Twitter at CodexRexPodcast, and you can send an email to CodexRexPodcast at gmail.com. Nice. Uh, those are the easiest ways to get a hold of us. Um Docs has a nice degree of separation because he doesn't run any of those things. So all of your hate mail goes directly to me and then I send it to him. I heard, so. I heard what Tyler enjoys the most. If you come into his Twitch chat and the first thing you say is, let's go, Brandon. Oh my <laughs> God. Oh. I'll, I'll tell you all a story out there, uh, wonderful <laughs> listeners. So I've been doing this thing on my Twitch channel just to test it out, right? Like I don't get to flex my political chops very often um, when I'm streaming. And so uh, I've just decided to peel the bandaid off and just start talking about political things because I think it's important that everybody's educated about the political comings and goings of what's going on uh, in the world. And, uh, you know, I specialize in the, the United States and, and, and Congress. And so I'm, I am actually a small scale expert in some of these things. And so I decided to start doing like, what if we talked about current events on my channel? And um, I've been trying streaming that in different categories. And I recently said, huh, there's a politics category. I'm going to put myself in that and see what happens. And the answer is, is that the only people who are in the politics category are trolls. And so uh, 
I don't think I've banned that many people in such a short amount of time. <laughs> it was fun to watch. Yeah. yeah. Fun to watch. I don't know if it was fun to do. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll be going back to maybe the just chatting channel next time. But in fun things, uh, I've been waiting to ask you this question. I know the answer, but what have you been playing lately, man? You know both my answers. I've been playing, I've, I finished playing Elden Ring, actually. So oh, congrats. I'm, I'm kind of, I've kind of seen all the endings. Um, and I'm playing Vampire Survivors. Proof that to make a great game, you need no fancy graphics and huge art departments, just a lot of determination and a single person. I'm so with you. Is it made by a single person? I don't know. Is I, it made by a studio or by a single person? I think it was originally made by a single guy, and then I think they've added a couple more people to the staff since then, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, Even the smallest of games requires a lot of people. Yeah. So um to those who don't know, if you if you haven't been keeping up, Elden Ring came out. It's the, you know, it's the new game from From Software, and it is fucking awesome. I am so engrossed. I've basically streamed nothing else. Um, and then Docs is also talking about Vampire Survivors, which is like a, to describe it, it's like a top-down 2D pixel sprite game where you walk around and it's sort of, uh, you auto-battle things almost. You basically just pick, yeah. you, it's kind of like a bullet hell, maybe? Like, bullet hell meets auto-battler meets hack, hack and slash. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, but, um, it's really good. I was very addicted to it. I've played like 20 hours of it. Um, yeah. And uh, on my plate that's different, uh, the the Discord server started up um, like a Minecraft server, and they've been playing a lot of Minecraft, uh, seeing the sheer atrocities that some people will commit in that game uh, is unfathomable. <laughs> um, Tyler is in his mid-30s, so he was, he was a child that was probably getting in contact first when Minecraft was in the alpha, mm -hmm. and he never played Minecraft. Never played it. I have only ever absorbed Minecraft information from other people or from like, you know, the cultural, the cultural zeitgeist, I suppose. Um, yeah. And Mojang will get his own episode. Oh, for because, sure. Um, that is definitely one of the most important games of modern video game history. Oh yeah. I mean, think about the far reaching implications. Um, one thing that I found really uh, weird though, is that it's still really hard to down or download the java edition which is supposedly like the better edition but like you have to go through all these weird steps and i was like this feels very difficult to get like to get access to minecraft like you know no. the biggest fucking game ever it seems like there's way too many steps to get at it and maybe that's purposeful maybe they want you to use the windows i don't edition. know it's stupid it really is so but yeah that's what's up with me um that's what i'm playing glad you're doing well um do you want to get into I think it we can start the episode right yeah, yeah. let's get let's into it. it cool Before, what do you have for me? <laughs> before I begin, 
Every time we do an episode, we have this discussion and it's always, oh, well, hey, you know, some of these sources may be a little weird and, um, you know, some of these facts might be a little off, but we do our best, right? And the reason that we tell you this is that because we are not directly interviewing these people and we operate off of secondary sources. And so we're constantly trying to figure out what is the real story that is actually happening here. So this story very specifically has some weird conflicts that come up into it. And once we start talking about it, you'll know why. And then I'll explain where the conflicts come from. But I just want a buffed up version of our usual disclaimer because in a lot of articles coming out about this thing I'm about to talk about, um, they attribute a lot of this to one person. But from what I can tell, it's actually two people and there may be a lot of misattributions. So we'll get right into it. Okay. <clears throat> Our story begins with a man named Akihiro Yokoi. He was born in February 1955 in Japan. Now, there's not a ton about his early life um, that's publicly available. We know that he went to school in Shinjuku, and then he went to a university in Japan. He majored in economics, and he graduated in 1977, and he went to work for a company called Bandai. What is your face? I have this. I have this episode prepared. You do. You do. <laughs> Go on. I, we will see where this goes. You have this episode prepared because I, I had a. I have a hard time finding an angle, and I want to see how you do it. So mm -hmm. keep going. <laughs> so Docs knows what this is. We'll let all of you wait with bated breath. Uh, <laughs> he, so he worked for Bandai, right? He worked for Bandai. Uh, and I bet, you know, most of you listening out there have probably heard the name Bandai before, but in case you haven't, your face, dude, <laughs> uh, it is a well-known Japanese toy company. And at the time he joined up, just to give you an idea of like stuff that they were doing in like the seventies and eighties, um, they were really pushing models from mobile suit Gundam. So if you've ever seen like Gunpla stuff and like that line, that's where a lot of this stuff originated is from them. These are like um, huge, like for anyone that really never heard of that, it's like, huge mecha suits fighting shit mm -hmm. yeah. yep you got it so in the years after they slowly took over like the toy industry in japan and they became the biggest toy company in japan and they took up a sizable share of the market and just to give you examples like they licensed toys from things like ultraman common rider super sentai and, and the like and they they lightly dipped their toes into video games during this time but only lightly and so I don't have a ton of information on what he did there during that time, but I do know that he worked for the company for nine years. And the story goes that sometime in 1986, he decided to start his own company and they called it Wiz Company, W-I-Z, Wiz Company. And uh, he would be the president and director of the company. And then he officially left Bandai in 1987. So he started the company in 1986. He officially leaves in 1987. So what this company would do is come up with ideas for toys, and then they would pitch those toy ideas to bigger companies. And so he worked at this company for a few years, and they grew quite a bit. And so by 1995, Wiz Company had 42 employees, most of which were young, which were young employees. And when I say young, I mean predominantly under 25. And so just to give you an idea, um, yeah, Yokoi is uh, 40 years old at this time, and I'm probably butchering his name, but as I do. And then an innocuous event happens that would change his life. So apparently the story goes, and this is all fucking passed into legend at this point, that he's watching a television commercial 
And supposedly in the commercial, there is a young boy who has a pet turtle. And this boy wants to bring the turtle along on his family trip. And so he hides it in a suitcase, but then his mother finds it and she scolds him and the turtle stays at home. So Yokoi, seeing this ad, was kind of bummed out by it. So he's this huge animal lover. And if I read this correctly, at the time he owned a dog, three cats, two parrots, and a bunch of different pet bugs. And at some point in his life, he had kept owls and at one point had a turtle. So he thought about how he had to leave all of his pets behind every time that he left and he did things. And he thought to himself, well, you can't always take your real pets along with you, but what if you could bring along a virtual pet? So there are a ton of conflicting origin stories here. Again, sometimes attributing this to other There's people. so many conflicting origin stories. It is, it is in, I don't it's know. It's insane. What happened here? So... I got an idea of what happened, so. But from what I can tell, this is the most accurate story. But again, a lot of this has passed into legend. And also, I just want to take a second and go, what the fuck was this commercial about, right? Like, nowhere in anything I've read has anybody even said what kind of commercial it was. Like, what were they selling? Like, vacations? Insurance? Like, cars? Like, I just just don't know. I have a personal theory about all of this. Okay. And... The, the main point of the theory is how all of, like, all of these origin stories are told a long time after they happened mm-hmm. by those people, and they are told during a certain conflict of interest. Mm-hmm. So all of these people, my, my main theory is that all these stories are bullshit. Okay. And, and nothing is true. <laughs> <laughs> and everything is made up. And there's no truth. And there's no real origin of this toy. But let's keep going because we will you all let let let, let the listeners encounter the madness of this origin story, which makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> so FYI, before we even tell you before we get into this, Docs tried to do this episode previously and said, Fuck this, I'm done, I give up, I give this to you. And it's been sitting <laughs> in a Word document for like a year. And I finally decided to revisit it. Okay. So he's like, what if you could have this virtual pet that could go places with you? Now, the idea of virtual pets, it wasn't new. Now, the there was a game that was pretty popular that was called Pets with a Z. And it was popular in the 90s. And it would let you take care of virtual animals that were on your PC. And they would either hang out in the game or you could like drag them to your desktop and they would like live on your desktop. It was kind of like all the rage at the time. Yeah, they could like walk around on your desktop, right? It yep. Was like- Tiny animated pixel graphics, really cute. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, there was also like an aquarium software that was popular in Japan oh, at the yeah. time. That was like a whole thing. And like there had been attempts at like creating like virtual interactions with animals for a very long time. I mean, like I saw some stories like going back to like the 40s where they were like, what if we made like AI controlled turtles that were like super rudimentary. So like this has been around for a while. Like what if we could make something that like pretended to be an animal? Yeah. So the company gets to gets together and they start working on prototypes for this toy. And at the time, handheld consoles, think like the Game Boy, the Game Gear, stuff like that, were, were very expensive. And so if they wanted to break into the market, it needed to be relatively cheap to produce, um, but also to buy, right? Like they wanted to have like huge market appeal. And so they wanted to design it so that, you know, pretty much anybody could pick one up and buy it. The way he originally designed it was as a wristwatch. And the wristwatch would um, would display some kind of like pet on it, whatever it might be, that you could take with you. 
So to give it a name, he mashed two words together. The Japanese word tamago, meaning egg, and uochi, which roughly translates to watch, like a like a wristwatch. And he called it the Tamagotchi. tamagotchi. <laughs> Small story now for like Dax's personal first encounter with the Tamagotchi. I was a young boy, and mm-hmm. the Tamagotchi was all the rage in Germany. Everyone had one. Like they they had to be forbidden prohibited in schools because they kept making noises because you have to keep them with you because you have to like i'm I'm skipping ahead a little bit probably but you you had to feed these things by pressing certain buttons at certain times or these things would go crazy and they would be so loud and i wanted one and my mother was of the um steadfast opinion that the tamagotchi um was the beginning of the end of the world Because, because mechanizing, Sorry. mechanizing real animals instead of would would completely make us void of any feeling or compassion, and that the tamagotchi was a symbol of whatever was wrong with this world, and you can imagine that I was not allowed to have one even though I wanted one really badly, but in the end I think I'm kind of happy I didn't get one because they were really annoying. Uh, Docs has just perfectly previewed this entire episode. <laughs> there it is. That's the entire episode right there, succinctly as put by Docs. <laughs> oh, we're gonna dig into every single piece of everything you just said. <laughs> so, <laughs> like all of that, you'll see. <laughs> First off, I'm sorry that you didn't get to have one. You missed out on a really weird period of human history. Yeah. Um, but they are annoying. You'll you'll see soon enough. So. Okay, so it's a combination of the words Tamago and Uochi. Uh, it's Tamagotchi. There are anecdotal stories about it being a play on Tamago, Egg, and Tomodachi, which is friend. But that those are that's those are unconfirmed. That seems to be a misattribution. Yeah, it kind of looks like an egg, so it's kind of it, the association is um, close. Mm-hmm. So uh, Yokoi reaches out to Bandai. Okay, because remember, his company, what they do is they come up with toy ideas and then they pitch them to other companies and the other companies produce them and they license them, right? So he reaches out to Bandai, his own his old company. And now during this time, Bandai, it was coming off of the massive fad of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, but they were in need of a new toy to satisfy consumers because some of their revenues there had waned. And this is not totally confirmed by a lot of sources, but I read somewhere that by one account, he took it to Bandai and they rejected it on the first pass and he went back to the drawing board and he did some marketing research, if this is correctly attributed. And the story goes that he realized that most handheld games at the time were marketed toward boys and that there was a market for a cute set of characters that could be marketed toward girls. We will touch on this weird sexism in toys angle many times throughout this episode, but this is the first time it comes up. We kind of had this in Harvest Moon already, right? We did. We did. Mm, Yeah. So he gets in touch with a woman named Aki Maida, uh, or Maita. uh, We'll call her Maita. I apologize with this, whoever out there is listening. It's M-I-A-T-A. We're going to call her Maita. Uh, who was in the marketing division at Bandai. Now, it's very hard to find info on this woman. Apparently, she joined up with Bandai out of college 
and then became part of their marketing and sales department in 1990. So Yokoi and Maita start working together and they collaborate with the staff at Bandai. And I guess during a meeting, someone there is like, well, you know, coming up with like characters and they're sketching stuff and they come up with this weird blob creature that's like sitting on a watch and everybody's like, that's it. That's the design. And so they decide to, but then like as they go through this iterative process, they decide to ditch the watch design and make it into a keychain shaped like an egg. And so the game works like this. You hatch a pet. You hatch one of these Tamagotchi from an egg and it goes through life stages. And the pet has predetermined times that it needs things. So you'd have to feed it and play with it and it shits on the ground and you got to clean up after it. And sometimes it would be bad and it wouldn't do what it was supposed to and you'd have to discipline it. And they make this like shrill beep when they need things and they play these little jingles if you do what it wants. And so it has these little hunger and happiness meters that deplete throughout the day. So you like have to keep track of those. Now it wasn't just enough that you'd have to have this pet and care for it. It also rewarded you for being a good pet owner. So if you cared for it well, it would evolve into certain kinds of creatures. And if you took bad care of it, it would turn into like these weird, ugly creatures. So good care leads to a well-behaved Tamagotchi and bad care makes them into jerks and they could get sick and you have to get medicine, like all this stuff, right? Like it was kind of involved for like a little keychain pet. It, it kind of turned into a vicious circle too, because the the worse you treated it, the worse it treated you. Mm-hmm. So it, it kind of, um, I, I can imagine a lot of fathers took hammers out of their toolbox and destroyed these things. Because children kind of have short attention spans. Someone in my Twitch chat when I was talking about Tamagotchis the other day literally told a story that that exact thing happened to them, that they got in trouble and that their father literally took a hammer to it, which I'm a big proponent of not destroying your children's toys with hammers. But, you know, it was the 90s. If there's one toy (laughs) that is allowed to be destroyed by your father's hammer, it is the Tamagotchi. So the gist is, <laughs> and this is, um, <laughs> it's a mercy killing, <laughs> the mercy of it and the mercy of us. <laughs> Maybe we forever free from its terrible machinations. It shall beep in this home no more. Um, so I think the key thing here is, and this is kind of the hallmark of it, is that you took care of it in real time. It would wake and it would sleep and it would do things like a real pet. And it wasn't just fun. It was responsibility. And if you didn't care for it, it would die. And also, it would die of old age eventually too, but there was still an incentive to care for it. It would live longer and it'd be happier. And the first edition... The first edition Tamagotchis could not be revived. No, they could. Well, well, wait. The st- the Tamagotchis themselves were dead and could not come back, but you could get a new egg. Oh. So like they would die, but it, and they would show you like a screen, but if you held in a couple of the buttons, it would spawn a new egg and you'd start over. Okay, cool. So the toy wasn't invalidated, but your original Tamagotchi was, and we'll talk about all of the implications of that as we yeah. go through this because there's a lot. So So here's what Yokoi wrote about this in a later interview. And I'm going to say his quote, and I'm going to tell you, this has been translated a bunch of different ways, but this is the most complete quote I could find. When I am raising my own pet, I often think that they are adorable. 
but that only counts for 20% of the time. For the rest of the time, I do feel troublesome looking after them. So to paraphrase here, I've seen some different translations. The gist is, is that he's trying to say is that pets are really cute, but it's only like 20% of the time. The rest of the time, they kind of suck their responsibility, right? So to go back to his quote, however, the time you spent, the effort you put uh, into your pets turns into love, which is the most important part of the process. I realized that this is a must-have element in a virtual pet game. Death was never a good thing to put into the spec back in the old days, but adding this into the gameplay, Tamagotchi is one step closer to reality. So, they come up with this pretty solid idea of what the toy is going to look like. And Maita took the toy to the salespeople at Bandai, and they were just baffled. They were like, what's so fun about this? And she remembers them saying, like, like literally asking her, like, what is actually fun about this? <laughs> so on Yo- Yokoi's side, uh, he talked to his friends about it and they told him, they're like, this isn't going to sell. Like, who would want this? Um, so what, you know, uh, Maita does is like, you know, they keep pressing this angle that their target audience is going to be young girls and they come at it from a caretaking angle. They want to take care of things. Yeah, and to prepare them for motherhood, right? Because that's the only thing women do. Oh, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. What? <laughs> this is sarcasm to all of you out there. I'm, this is sarcasm. I'm raising my sarcasm sign. Yeah. <laughs> Just to be clear. Also, because there's a big market for cute things, especially in Japan at the time, they would make creatures very cute and in their own weird style. They did some focus testing on junior high and high school girls. And uh, they did this because Bandai thought of them as, quote, the marketing pulse of the nation. They gave out 200 prototypes in the Shibuya shopping district and then surveyed the people who got the prototypes over the course of weeks of owning them. It was an absolute hit. They liked the name. They liked the weird blob shape of the critters. They were super into it. But even still, they had trouble marketing this to toy shops and they weren't sure what to do with it, but they pressed on. Before we get to the release... I had to do a deep dive into what I love best, and that is lore. Yes, Docs, Tamagotchis have lore, yeah, and I needed to know. Yeah. Yes. It's something here's that, the, just you do it, okay. Here's the story that they eventually set, settled on. Okay, prepare yourself. Tamagotchi are aliens that come from their planet. You guessed it, Tamagotchi planet. Wow. <laughs> they were just living their lives until one day... A Tamagotchi called an Oyahichi, if I said that correctly, who is a Tamagotchi variant who is styled after balding alcoholic old men, forced the planet Tamagotchi, which by the way, did I mention the planet Tamagotchi has a giant face? Forced the planet Tamagotchi to drink a bottle of sake. The planet became drunk as fuck and began to loudly sing this made the planet uninhabitable and all of the Tamagotchi had to flee until the planet sobered up. They left in UFOs and crashed on Earth. Then a man, Professor Bonzo, who owned something called the Strange Biology Institute, he's walking around and he's having a real bad day because he just got dumped by his girlfriend and he gets hit in the head by one of these UFOs. He finds the Tamagotchis, 
he takes them back to his lab where his assistant, a woman named Mikachu, not even kidding, create Tamagotchi houses where they can live safely and be taken around. And as Mikachu starts showing the Tamagotchi to her friends at school, they became very popular and Professor Bonzo started shipping them out across the world. And now you know the deep lore. And and, and that's it, right? You, It's kind of like we're saving them yeah. from extinction by taking care of them in these little Like right, They can't survive right? in the Earth's yeah. atmosphere without help. And so they're in the egg so that you mm-hmm. can raise them and they live in there. I also love the references to Japanese culture, um, including alcoholism and... <laughs> Karaoke? <laughs> <laughs> Karaoke. <laughs> Yeah, very, very self-referential in that way. So, (laughs) okay. So this being the lore being set down of drunk karaoke planet, uh, (laughs) the Tamagotchi officially releases in Japan in November of 1996. Its final form looked like a small egg-shaped keychain. It had a tiny black and white screen, which was only 32 by 16 pixels, and three rubber buttons. It was big enough that you could see the basic commands, but small enough that you could take it everywhere with you. I couldn't find what the baseline price of release was in Japan, but to give you an idea, they usually retailed for around $15 in the United States, or about £10 um, in Britain. Um, And we'll talk about that in a minute. So just to give you kind of an idea of like, what they, they cost. It's usually somewhere around like $15 or that sort of thing. So, you know, the marketing at the time, very girl centric, uh, but they found that children pretty much universally freaked out over it. Um, here is a real quote. I had to pull this out. I couldn't leave this unturned. Here is a real quote from a 1997 New York Times article talking about this fad taking over Japan. Oh my God. Quote, Most of the buyers are teenage girls or women in their 20s. Some commentators say that the toy is popular because it is difficult to have a real pet in crowded Japan. Others say Tamagotchi satisfies the nurturing instinct of Japanese women who are more and more marrying later and having fewer children. Yes, it's kind of because all the women are not nurturing enough in their life because this cultural shift is ruining Japan. They are... Mm-hmm. going towards this digital device that can give them what they are lacking and that is children yeah right <laughs> it's the only explanation oh of course it couldn't yeah that's the only reason people would want to buy them yeah yeah <laughs> but it, it pains it, me <laughs> i can imagine that someone in, like some journalist because it was a huge thing in germany too and i can imagine that mm-hmm. I, I if i if i would spend some time looking through news articles i would find articles with similar misogyny. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, just to give you an idea of what it was being reported on as the time at, at the time. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. So, it's a massive fucking hit. And the toy takes off. And for six months, they only existed in the Japanese market. And in that six months, they sold five million of them. So by the time that the toy hit the United States on May 1st in 1997, the hype was insane. When they hit the U.S., they began to sell out instantly. There's a famous toy store in the United States called FAO Schwartz. I think that they are either like majorly downsized or got bought out at this point, but famous toy store. If you've ever seen the movie Big uh, with Tom Hanks, you know, the scene where he plays on the piano, that's inside of the New York FAO Schwartz. 
right? FAO Schwartz said in San Francisco, they had sold their entire stock of 3,000 of them in just the San Francisco store by 3 p.m. on the first day. The flagship store in New York sold 10,000 of them on their first day. People lined up at the doors. They were on waiting lists, that kind of thing. Supposedly, just FAO Schwartz, the company, sold 30,000 Tamagotchis in the first three days. Just that store chain. Insane. The chief executive of Toys R Us saw the potential, Toys R Us being an American toy brand that is kind of kind of defunct at this point. I mean, they're still around, but they a lot of them went bankrupt. Um, uh, the chief executive of Toys R Us saw the potential, and he is quoted as having said that he thought that it would be the toy of the year. He mentioned expecting to sell millions of them and publicly said that they would take all the stock that they could get. And they were very wrong. <laughs> so, <laughs> well... I mean, they did. I mean, well, we'll they, get to They that. did sell a lot, but there's, isn't there going to be some trouble, right? Be, you, because you, like, imagine this toy. You can't, like, you sell it once, and then what? Mm-hmm. You, you can't sell add-ons. There's no functionality or feature that could add anything to it. You could only sell a new one, but if you played it already once, why should you buy another one? So you would have to invent it new to give it, to, to sell a new one with new features. And did Bandai do that? It's a quick burn. You're right on that regard. Um, Well, we'll talk about that. There are a few people who spoke about this, but apparently Bandai did not expect the response that they got to be so massive. And I don't have a ton of concrete stuff here, but basically the rumors that I heard were that internally the company was super overwhelmed. The working conditions were crazy for a while. Um, they just couldn't get product out. They couldn't get their their producers to get product out at first. And consumers who wanted these things were very unhappy and started levying accusations that Bondi was purposefully restricting supply. But I can't verify that anywhere. That's that's just conjecture from people who are pissed off. But this also opened opened up a window for off-brand producers of Tamagotchi. Mm-hmm. And... Is it okay if I jump ahead? If, I, if I'm, oh, if I come yeah, absolutely. This is I the first time you gave me an episode that I took over, so yeah. you can say whatever you want here. So yeah, because I, th- I think the Tamagotchi is one of the examples where the off-brand um, products will do better than the original um, because Bandai handled the Tamagotchi so badly and left open space for others to take over the Tamagotchi market, and they did. There was a massive saturation in the market at this time. Yeah, because because of this open window. And this happens a lot with any kind of fad, right? Like that goes by like yeah. um once it gets popular, you see all these people who are like, I would like a tiny slice of that pie as well. But there was definitely a supply issue. And people started going crazy. They started camping out in front of stores when they thought that toys would arrive. They would run into stores like they were on some game show, grabbing as many Tamagotchis as they could. Um, and, you know, this isn't just like, what's that? Humans, man. I mean, right. (laughs) And like, this isn't just the U S this is the U S and Japan and across the world. Right. There was an anecdotal story in Japan that one store sold a shipment of a thousand. They got a thousand Tamagotchis in and they sold in 45 minutes. <laughs> 45 minutes, dude. One store. QVC, an American TV shopping network, claimed that when they hosted the Tamagotchi on their screen, they sold 6,000 of them in five minutes. Whoa. Bondi 
had to create production facility, like up their production facilities in, in China. So like they were working through this company in China and at the height of the fad, they were producing 3 million Tamagotchis a month by June. 3.5 million Tamagotchis had been sold in the United States alone and the craze took over the summer. So here's where we start to get into conflicts of attribution. So for a time, most of the success of the toy was put on Maita and Bondi pushed her as the face of the toy. Now, what's weird here is that publicly she spoke as if she invented the toy and would even tell the turtle advertisement story as if it was hers. And so I, I want to be very clear. I can't say for sure, but my guess here is Bondi who is licensing the Tamagotchi model off of Yokoi. They're the ones actually producing all the toys. Their name is on the box. And so they wanted to take full credit for them. And when this thing exploded, they wanted to say, who is the person who made this wonderful thing that has taken the world by storm? And they said, ah, it was her. Talk to her, right? And so... If you suddenly say, well, this guy who isn't a part of our company that we're licensing from made this insanely popular toy that we make, it detracts from you. Plus, this fit this whole motherly thing that they were going for. And I read these- Did they call her the mother of Tamagotchi? They did. Yeah. Well, yeah. they call, and they called him the father of Tamagotchi once it came out later. Um, yeah. But I read these reports- that seem to be fabricated. Uh, like I can't, there's no confirmation. There's no actual words from her. I just read these weird reports that said that claimed that she invented the toy because she wasn't allowed to have pets at her place and she was lonely. Right. Yeah. It all seemed like optics to me. We can never know for sure, but it all seemed like optics for me. And this is why when you research things and if you research the Tamagotchi during this time, there is tons of conflicting in information. Yeah, that's why that's what frustrated me about this story is that Bandai spent a lot of effort creating this legend around the Tamagotchi that is so filled with distraction and complications that makes the original creator of the Tamagotchi seem a bit insane because he's pissed. He, he like there's a lot of interviews with him where he wants his part of this whole enterprise and he's like Banda is refusing it and he tries to get the media's attention to him and for a long time it didn't work because Banda kind of also made him look like a lunatic yeah so there's marketing optics associated with saying our person made this and so it's that's why the the water is so you know, muddy there. Um, but eventually that year it did became known that Yotoi was the original inventor. He got introduced at a conference that he was the inventor. Um, and that he started speaking to the press as well. And then, like I said, they started calling them the father and mother of Tamagotchi by September of 1997. The market had expanded across the world. You know, you got hit with it in Germany. Um, and they had big markets in China, all over Europe. They had sold 70 million Tamagotchi by 1990, the September of 1997. It is by insane, the, yeah. That's insane to think about. By the end of the year, Yokoi and Maita won a fake Nobel Prize. At first, when I was reading, I was like, holy shit, they won a Nobel Prize for this? And I was like telling people, I was like, dude, I didn't know the inventor of the Tamagotchi won a Nobel Prize. And then I misread. It's called... If it's a Nobel the, Peace Prize. 
what? No, it's the Ig Nobel Prize, right? IG Nobel Prize. It's an award that is presented for weird achievements in scientific research. And the people who give them out are people who have won real Nobel Prizes. I guess it still exists. I don't know. I didn't dig too far here, but it was fucking weird, man. The 90s were a wild time. So let's say you didn't grow up during this time, okay? Like, I asked uh, a friend of ours, Ruby, I was like, what do you know about these things? And she was like, I'm like, what the fuck are these? (laughs) Right? (laughs) And so you might be thinking, like, what gives? Why the fuck was this thing so popular? Well, what made it so compelling is that you were required to pay attention to it throughout your day. And it didn't really, in the beginning, it didn't have a pause button. There was no pause button. When you pulled the pull tab out of it, it that, that was it. You started it, right? And there was nothing that you could do about it. And so if you met, like, you didn't take care of it, you messed up, you might get an evolution you didn't like, it could die. And the average lifespan of a Tamagotchi is about 12 days. But if you take care of it, it can live as, tw- as long as 25 with proper care. But if you let it sit too long, sometimes even five or six hours without paying attention to it, it could just straight up die. And that caused a lot of anxiety in people who had never interacted with something like this before. Because you have this mix of responsibility and this also like this constant need to check in on it. It was also really popular because children are more complex than we give them credit for. And this idea of having responsibility over something was very exciting to children, right? Yeah. Like, oh, you're you're old enough now that you can have your own virtual pet and you care for it exclusively. It's yours and you can name it and you can do whatever you want with it. Yeah, you're right? completely off the leash. Like, um, you get it and nobody helps you. So you're on your own with that. And that is something rare as a child, right? You never get um, confronted with something where nobody is holding your hand. It's true. And specifically, a lot of parents didn't know how to even help if, if needed, right? Which we'll get to in a second. So even if you took perfect care of your pet, though, I mentioned this earlier, death was inevitable. And when Tamagotchi started dying, people had become so attached, they started grieving or knowing that this incoming death was coming, they would try to find ways around their Tamagotchi's death. So some people realized that if you went into the clock setting screen, you could, um, you could stop the game from progressing, essentially taking your Tamagotchi and like suspending it in time. An underground Tamagotchi hacking community rallied around keeping their pets from death and they altered the game's code to make their creatures live longer. But for a lot of children, this was their first experience with death, like at all. And I read all these articles about children who would like go into hysterics over the loss of their pets. There was talk about like widespread depression in children. I heard stories about school nurses who were acting as grief counselors to children who were struggling with the <laughs> loss of their pets. I found um, while researching this, I found a Tamagotchi graveyard online. Yes. We have- where people could put in the Tamagotchi. Yeah, we'll actually, uh, we'll talk about the insanity of uh, Tamagotchi graveyards here in a minute. So later, so in the US versions, um, later they changed it from death to, oh, well, they didn't die. They actually just went back to their home planet. It was time for them to leave. And so they changed it from this like 
tombstone to like this Tamagotchi growing angelic wings and flying away, which like they said was going home, but it very looked like the tur- like like your Tamagotchi turned into like a stereotypical like Western idea of what an angel looks like. And so people just assumed that it died anyway. And so then you get into the psychology of all of this. And some psychologists wondered, are we teaching children good things with these pets? Is it okay to teach children that if you mess up with a pet and it dies, well, you could just go get another one? And then there were all these discussions about how like, well, it's going to keep children from enjoying their actual animal companions. And then all these extrapolations about the moral fabric of society falling apart because kids were going to become these unattached husks. You fucking know how it goes. My, my, my mom loved that line of argument about becoming detached from reality and <clears throat> that this was the end of it all. I don't know. I just thought it was a neat toy. <laughs> well, one thing I will say is, is like she was not alone. But I will say that there was talk that like, okay, but also... The game actually rewards you for being a good pet parent. You are actively encouraged to pay attention to your pet and not be shitty. And so, you know, others argued that it was a good way to teach kids like responsibility and how to take care of other beings. So I think it goes both ways. But the big talk is this idea of blurring technology and real life. And what did this mean for the future? What did this mean for culture? And people speculated wildly. But there is something to be said about like the addiction aspect of the devices. Like the device presents you with these like beeps and noises and sounds that you develop a Pavlovian response and it almost trains you to take care of it. And I think that it's just really fascinating to think about and a lot of psychologists did. And so a new psychological phenomenon was coined and you can go look it up and it is called the Tamagotchi effect. And it's this idea that people develop emotional attachments to machines, robots, software, and the like. So the discussion was, is it healthy for people to develop attachments to non-living beings like that? And, you know, they even extrapolated it to some people in studies that developed like, like emotional attachments to like their stuff and their car keys. But then when you have this virtual being that's acting like a living creature, you know, they said, well, maybe this fulfilled this need that humans have to interact with other beings, right? But in modern society, especially in the 90s, right, it can be kind of difficult when you're so busy and we didn't have the internet like it was. And so there was all this deep research about how like there was something to be said of this tapping into like base human emotions and emotions and desires. And then what could that be used for? Like, what about marketing? Once a company knows that you have these feelings and you can develop attachments to non-living things, they could cause you to develop attachments to brands or products or characters associated with brands. And there's a lot to unpack there, but these are questions that are still being asked today, right? Like this came to the forefront. I don't want to say that it was not used previously, but this came to the forefront of like, how is this affecting our brain and how are people using it against us? Yeah, it's insane. It is. And it it, it implies a lot, that's true. Yeah. But it's not that it it was invented due to this. It it was there beforehand, it was just made more obvious. 
Correct. By encountering it on, on such a grand scale. Right. Okay. So now that we got a lot of that out of the way, uh, quickly after releasing into the U.S., they created a second generation and they added a pause button to respond to criticism about how the devices um, were just like infinitely distracting. And I went and looked up. There's this really goofy commercial where this little girl is standing in like a very stereotypical 90s bedroom and it's like all bright pastel colors. And uh, there's a goldfish talking in this weird like accent. And uh, he's he's bitching about how his owner is neglecting him and instead playing with the Tamagotchi. And he's like, oh, I see. Well, she doesn't she would rather play more with that than play with me. I'm cool. I can do tricks. And, you know, at the end, she's like oh, you know, I'm going to pause this and go to dinner or something. He's like, oh, they can pause. I can pause too. And then he just like sits there immobile, right? And first off, what the fuck is this commercial, right? It's basically like, oh yeah, this child would rather play with a digital thing rather than me. I don't know. I guess they're trying to make it like the cool pet, but it was right there in the commercial and it has a pause button now, just in case you were worried, right? Mm. But it is so hard to describe to someone who didn't live through this period, how fucking omnipresent these things were. According to Bondi, at the height of sales, there were 15 Tamagotchis sold every minute, and they were fucking everywhere. I mean, if you're a bit long, younger, you can imagine it like those two weeks that Pokemon Go was the thing. Mm -hmm. it, it, was, it, it was a bit like that. Just, yep. of course, different in some aspects, but it was just in in being everywhere that's that's how that was yeah yeah so i'm getting a little ahead of something i'm going to talk about here in a second but um but pokemon uh put out their own version of this that was kind of the precursor to other stuff that they made later and you could say that it's kind of like an early precursor to what pokemon go was so there's a lot of lines that run back to this idea yeah. of taking this thing around with you and you have to pay attention to it oh my, um, a very successful at nintendo game is nintendogs mm -hmm. that um is basically an overcomplicated version of a tamagotchi you got it yep I guess just to get, just to roll back into what I was saying, they were everywhere. They were clipped to belt loops. They were on backpacks. People had them on their coats. People put them on their car keys. They were almost like a fashion accessory and everyone was glued to them because you had to have it with you. And so, as you mentioned early in the episode, when you create this toy that beeps and it needs attention and everyone's fucking fixated on it, you create situations where they're going to be banned from places and tons of schools did, workplaces, summer camps, etc. They all started banning these things parents started getting mad because even when they were banned from schools well the children would say well i have to leave my tamagotchi at home and then they would give it to whoever was the stay-at-home parent or give it to them when they went to work expecting them to know how to manage it and then it would die and the kids would cry and it caused all these issues and so then you had like people sneaking them into work hiding in bathrooms so that they could like you know there were there was like stuff about how like japanese uh office workers would run to the bathroom and then they'd sit in the stall and play with their tamagotchi <laughs> so here's a random grab bag of stories from articles i read these are in no particular order but just stuff i read in articles from the time there was a black market demand for Tamagotchi, and when demands were high, there were reports that people were selling them on the aftermarket for hundreds of dollars. There was a popular wave of scams in Japan where people would sell coupons that could later be redeemed for Tamagotchis when they came back in stock. They couldn't. <laughs> they were just scams. 
There were rumors of high-ranking Japanese businessmen canceling their meetings to play with their Tamagotchis. There were informal Tamagotchi daycares where people would pay others to keep their pets alive while they were at work, and then they'd come and pick their Tamagotchi up from daycare. Another reference to Pokemon Go, where you could pay people <laughs> to take your cell phone it's and true. walk around to hedge the eggs. Um, <laughs> God, what a weird time that was. Um a driver in a Tokyo suburb crashed into another car because her Tamagotchi began to cry and she tried to take care of it while she was driving. There was an unconfirmed urban legend going around of a teenage girl who defiantly hung herself when her parents took away her Tamagotchi and while they had taken it, it died. Um... Children in one elementary school in the U.S. stopped in the middle of taking standardized tests to feed their pets. Like, they all just stopped taking their tests. Um, and then you mentioned this earlier. Uh, a Tamagotchi cemetery opened up in England where people could physically go and physically bury their dead pets. And this became a destination for people across the world to go to England and hold funerals. There's um some really fascinating footage that Reuters put out. Um, and it's missing like the over, like the narration. It's just like the stock footage you can have access to. But like, so interesting to see these like 14 and 15 year old teenagers out there, like upset in a field talking about what their, their Tamagotchi would have wanted and how it was best for him and stuff like the attachment to these things was real yeah man and i i do think those are good like imagine you you were one of those 14 year olds that went to england to bury their tamagotchi mm-hmm. i think those are like memories like that are good memories yeah. like i remember when i was 12 to 14 i was in some weird clubs for fantasy literature where we did weird things and dressed up as the characters and we went all over the place and um and kind of did that and it, it sounds really cringy that sounds awesome but if i <laughs> think back to that time i was like man those were some really neat adventures mm-hmm. as a young person and i kind of discovered who i what i like and who i am how how i can be myself yeah. and i think this must be similar like i i love this technology and i I get the chance or I get the motivation to travel the world because of it and meet other people. And that must be a cool experience. Yeah. And I hope that these people that did that, they can treasure this memory. I hope that they're doing well. Here we are 20 years later or whatever it is. So more actually, but, um, so you mentioned this earlier that there were a lot of companies who wanted to capitalize on this hole in the market, but, Bondi, wanting to capitalize on their own fad, started releasing tons of different versions. And so they released like a second generation, which was kind of like an updated version. They released gendered versions of the toys that could communicate with each other. And you had like a boy toy and a girl toy, and then they would go and hang out and then they would mate and have babies. And then suddenly you had to take care of like Tamagotchi babies too. (laughs) Like, I guess we're just teaching kids where babies come from too. I don't know. Um, That's good. Right. It is, yeah. It's actually an important life you, lesson. You put you put two plastic eggs together, and then another plastic egg comes out. Yeah, that's exactly how that works. That, that's, yeah, I think I asked my wife, and she says that's how we got our child. <laughs> 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 oh, 
hey, honey, where, where did this baby come from? Yeah, don't you remember when we touched Tamagotchis together? Yeah. Yeah. But from that, yeah, why would you ever get them that close? What's your fucking problem, man? What did you think would happen? <laughs> now you're on the hook. <laughs> well anyway anyway, still an important life lesson right and i'm all for sex education right it's very important so but they started making all these different versions and then they also made like a bunch of branded crossover ones we'll talk about that in our wrap-up but um so like any fad you started to get competitors and just to note like a few tiger electronics which if any of you grew up in the 90s you might remember these little plastic black and white game like handheld games and there's like a bowling one and a skateboard one and like tiger electronics made a bunch of these and um they decided to make their own line called giga pets like g-i-g-a and at first they were just like dogs and cats but then they opened the door to like anything and everything and giga pets took off in the u.s and were kind of like a u.s thing but they didn't see a lot of international appeal a company called Playmates started their own line called NanoPets. From everything I could find on them, they were kind of low quality. Um, Pokemon did their own offshoot. We'll talk about this at the end too. Um, and there were just so many knockoffs, like hundreds and hundreds of different knockoffs and types and varieties and companies. I literally cannot name them all, but if you dig around online, there are just hundreds. But the most noteworthy offshoot of this craze actually came from Bandai itself. Remember how I talked about the branding of the Tamagotchi, right? It's supposed to be this cute little thing that's geared toward girls. But then they said, what if we tapped into a different market? Boys. And what do boys like, Docs? Violence. They must kill. They must destroy their enemies. And so employees from Wiz Company and Bondi got together to make a new toy that would sell in tandem to the Tamagotchi so they could get even more of this market share. The devices had a small screen, three buttons, but the case was square and it was typically in some kind of primary color. It was very flashy. It was edgy. They came up with a number of names for this device during development. They first called it Otu Otokochi. They called it Capsule Zarus, and then they realized that that was taken by someone else. And then they eventually settled on calling them Digital Monsters, or as it came to be known when it spawned an entire franchise, Digimon. Digimon. Yes. They attributed the designs to American comics, specifically the the Spawn series was cited as an influence. I always, very unpopular opinion. First, I can play the Digimon soundtrack on guitar and sing it in German from memory. No shit. And also, I always thought, another, another unpopular opinion, I think Digimon was better than Pokemon. Really? Especially because of the series. The series was so much better. The Pokemon series was brain dead. And the Digimon series had oh, oh, like the cartoon show. Actual story. The cartoon yeah, show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Yeah. Uh <laughs> the po- of course the Pokemon game was much better. But yeah. The the uh actual turning it into a an anime mm-hmm. worked much better with Digimon. Yep. I totally agree. I would agree that it had more depth to it. Um, yeah. Pokemon should have remained a game. Yeah. Well, I mean, the anime and branding is how they promote 
everything that they do. So I get it. But that's we will have to do a Pokemon episode someday. Someday. I just haven't wanted to tackle it yet. So, okay. <clears throat> so these things hit the market. And the innovation that was built into them was actually really fucking cool at the time. And that was that if you had a Digimon and someone else on the street had a Digimon, you could walk up to them, hit a button, and your monsters would fight each other. It was super rudimentary. Like they both show up on the screen. They do a couple of attacks that are totally outside of your control and then they leave. But what a fucking time to be alive. There are portable monsters on your keychain that can fucking fight other people's monsters. It was so cool. And I always wanted one. And what we did find is that apparently one night when I was doing research on this, if you send your Digimon to fight, they can get injured and every injury that they get comes with a small chance of death. Like maybe there's a lesson built there, right? Like that when you send things to fight, there's a chance they could die, right? Like I think that that's, I don't know. I guess I, I, I put it to an analog of like we glorify like Pokemon battles, but when you really think about it, it's just kind of glorified cockfighting, right? Like, oh yeah. Um, uh, cockfighting, uh, and kind of like making making children work and be without I don't know put the Pokemon adult supervision is, yeah po- Pokemon law is completely insane <laughs> <laughs> it really is yeah. yeah I won't go on to a too long of a thing here and maybe we'll talk about this in a different episode but like one time I was having a conversation with my brother and I was like I just need to know like how the fuck does their economy work? Like, how does any of this shit work? Like, who pays for gyms? Like, who pays for Pokemon gyms? Like, I went into a Pokemon gym, and it was just like, oh, in this gym, we travel around with electric roller coasters. And I was like, who the fuck made that? Who authorized that? Who upkeeps that? Who makes sure that children don't die on the electric roller coaster zap train, right? Like, do taxpayers pay for that shit? Are there protests against the electric roller coaster? Like, and my brother's like, can you just enjoy the game? Can you just have fun and enjoy this? And I'm like, no, I need to know. <laughs> I don't know if I told you during during the podcast already, but I have a favorite Pokemon fan theory. And that is if you go into the Poke Center and give them your uh-huh. faint, your, your, <laughs> your fainted Pokemon, they, they actually do not get healed, but the balls get taken away. They get shredded. And you get new Pokemon <laughs> of the same version. That actually, that are just different Pokemon. <laughs> uh, maybe they clone them. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> yeah, cloning, right? Well, anyway, they spawned a franchise all of their own, which yeah. is still ongoing today. Um, I wouldn't say that this is a one-to-one thing, but I always thought of an offshoot of those as something called scanners with a Z, which were like these things that you could scan barcodes and you could find monsters and then like fight each other. I didn't know anybody who had one, but the commercials made them seem super rad. So you're going to say something? But didn't Bandai go broke soon after because they did not, they got taken over by Namco. And that is Namco, true, but that was Namco had to take them over because Bandai was bleeding money. That is true, and I believe they got taken over in 2005. This would have hit about 1996 to 1998 yeah. would have been the big yeah. years. But yes, they did eventually get bought out um, later on. Because so. they were already bleeding money after Power Rangers before the mm-hmm. Tamagotchi, and Tamagotchi just kept them alive 10 years longer. You got it. So um, I want to show you something real quick. I here have boxes, okay? I have boxes from a Tamagotchi and a uh, and a Digimon, okay? So, 
when you see, I'm going to hold this up to you here. I'm not going to, sh- I'm going to show you pictures. I'm going to actually show you on the camera. All right. Look at this branding for the Tamagotchi. Okay. This is really cool. Look at the Tamagotchi. All right. And it, it's very colorful, right? Like it's very, but it's like pastel kind of colors, right? Mm-hmm. And you look on the back and it's very kind of cutesy. Look at this cute little thing you get. It's got like an egg hatching on it, right? It says, when when I read the front, it says, take care of me, play character game, feed me, the original virtual reality pet. Okay. You see this? All right. Now I want to show you Digimon. Digimon. Violence. <laughs> Would you like to describe what the box looks like to you? Okay, there's a red cross over it. And it all, <laughs> like a slash there, There's like a, like a huge robot on the top right, and there's a, like a four-winged angel hawk thing with a shotgun to the bottom. <laughs> and then to the left, you can... Like, Digimon is written in these scribbled letters like an insane person wrote them. And, but the O is not an O, but a... Sm- not, not a smiley, but like a monster face. It, yeah. It is, uh, it looks, my inner 13 year old feels really <laughs> cool just holding this. <laughs> On the back, it shows you how to battle and it says, new battle system, train three Digimons, new quest mode, power dice system. Digimon X can battle with original Digimon devices because this is a newer version, right? Yeah, the bird with the shotgun is probably the edgiest shit I've ever seen. So it's like that one fucking enemy from Elden Ring. Who fucking designed that enemy? Who designed shotgun bird docks? I'm still mad about it. Oh, that one. Yeah. Yeah, that shoots flame out of its feet. It's got like sword legs and it has a shotgun. What the fuck is that? I think you haven't seen the worst of it. <laughs> I'm sure I have. I've never <laughs> beaten one major boss. So Shot- shotgun shotgun bird is only the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> shotgun bird the beginning <laughs> okay let's get back let's get back to tamagotchi <laughs> i told i told docs before we started this episode that i thought that this would be just a lot of anecdotes and ranting so i hope you're all ready for it so okay <clears throat> by 1998 the tamagotchi fad had begun to fade and but the idea of pet care remained in 1998 the hot toy of the year was furbies oh, yeah. if you don't know what furbies are yeah, <laughs> right. Furbies are these weird little fucking blob critters that have ears and creepy animatronic eyes and a beak. And like they're weird cat birds is the best way I could say it. They kind of sit and you just kind of sit in places and they talk in this gibberish language called furbish. And what was fascinating was, is that people thought that these things actually learned human language by being around humans. There's a conspiracy and- about them. Yeah. Yeah, but what I looked it up one time and, you know, because I remember someone in our family being like, it learned how to talk. It learned things that from around us and like, you know, so-and-so used to sneeze all the time and it would sneeze too. And I went and looked it up and it was literally just like after X amount of days went by, it would just add new words to its vocabulary as if it was learning, but it didn't actually. But they were cute. They required a lot less care. They didn't die. If you left them in a closet for three weeks, they might yell at you, but they didn't die. And they took over the holiday season of 1998. In every parents household of all of my friends you will find a a cupboard where you will find a furby that has run out of batteries behind some dishes or something in everyone even we we, we didn't get a furby for the same reasons that we didn't get a tamagotchi mm-hmm. so 
I was left out of that one too. But I visited my friends, and those things were fucking annoying. So they really were. Yes. Oh yeah. And there was this conspiracy that they didn't that not just that they learned words, but that they could be controlled centrally and activated <laughs> and be used as listening devices. Shut up. Of course there was. Why did I never? Th- yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's really funny because the the same people who would be scared to have a Furby in their home are now like totally okay with like Alexa being in their home. Yeah. Right. Like, but anyway, that's, that's something for another day. Um, but Furbies took over that year. Um, Tamagotchi still remained popular in Japan. They kept cranking out releases. Tamagotchi took a big dip in sales as any fad does and kind of faded into obscurity for a while. In 2004, they announced a new line of toys called Tamagotchi Connections, and they were like the originals, but but were better. They could communicate with each other and stuff. And this kicked off a new wave of Tamagotchi owners that year. Um, but they never took off in the same way as they did again, not nearly at the same level. And there have actually been steadily released new versions since then. Like up until like last, like I think this year or last year, they put out the Tamagotchi Picks that has like a camera in it and shit. Like they still exist. Um Bondi experimented with other virtual pet toys too. Uh, just to ramble off a couple that I found made by Bondi. The Wave UFO, Magical Witches, Pocket Biscuit, The Human Player, and Pocket Seki, S-E-K-I. None of these had the same notoriety as the Tamagotchi and Digimon, and I had not even heard of them until I did research for this episode. So I would say that nowadays it's far more difficult to to hit the market like that i agree like it 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 happens but these fads last for much shorter periods of time and like again pokemon go and pokemon go didn't last a whole year that was that was much shorter and you can't do that with hardware Mm -hmm. that doesn't work it has to be software yeah. So I I don't think something like a Tamagotchi hype is possible anymore if they come with their own hardware. It would have to be a piece of software you get onto your smartphone or your computer. So I actually, when we get to the end, I end our, the episode here by telling you some stories. I asked some of our friends and some, you know, people that we know to tell us stories about living during this time and i think that david a friend of mine talks about it um pretty well so we'll, we'll get to that in a minute um it was really a time to be alive and, and i'll explain in a moment i know i've said that's this whole episode but okay so there have been tons of crossovers um that bondi did with tamagotchis uh the first one was mothra you could get like Mothra from Godzilla. But what was fascinating to me is that most of the crossovers are actually relatively recent. So in 2007, they re-released the original Tamagotchis as like an anniversary thing. And you could get them in the original packaging, everything, etc. And then after that, they started doing these like, these little like crossover releases where it'd be like, pac-man or disneyland they made a neon genesis evangelion one just a couple of days ago they announced kingdom hearts branded tamagotchi uh which of course spawned memes one of my favorite one was was uh do you think that these new kingdom hearts tamagotchis are going to have lore implications it seems likely to me (laughs) but the amount of variation in the new ones is insane and the actual like updated ones with features have like depth to them man like 
temperature control, weather, predators. You can breed them. They can get married. They have houses they live in. You can decorate shit. There's activities you can do. You could send them to a hotel. You can play online. You could take pictures. They have color screens now. You can save your progress. You can pair them with mobile apps. Like you can, there's just tons and tons of shit. And some of the new models don't require the same amount of care. Some of them don't die anymore. Um, you know, some of them have like games where you get points and shit. Like they've done everything that they could do to modernize it and they do exist. Um, other little legacies of this, they made an several like anime shows. They made a bunch of video games that were mostly released in Japan. They had some movies that came out. The most recent Tamagotchi movie that I could find came out in 2016. Um, not necessarily related to the the brand directly but a new movie came out for kids called turning red uh, it's a pixar movie and the main character has a tamagotchi on her backpack and um and is apparently part of the plot i don't know i haven't seen the movie but like man those things had lasting brand power dude it's really surprising to me i found a weird side note uh about like ways that tamagotchi got used as fashion but Weird, weird side story. I found an article where in 2016, Katy Perry and Orlando Bloom went to the Met Gala. And uh, the, the theme was fashion in the age of technology. And they both wore Tamagotchis. But people on Twitter started zooming in on Orlando Bloom's Tamagotchi. And just it hadn't been cared for at all. And it was just surrounded by shit. <laughs> and they were like, oh, good. Orlando Bloom brought a shit-covered Tamagotchi to the Met Gala. <laughs> and people on Twitter were like, I resemble that shit-covered Tamagotchi. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, <laughs> so, at the end of the day, the current total count of sold Tamagotchis from what I can find was somewhere between 83 and 84 million in sales. And that is not counting any other company or type of pet. So, let's say you go, well, now I'm sold. I want to get into this shit. How do I get into this in the modern day? Well, there is a surprising amount of Tamagotchis you can buy out there. The fan community is still relatively big. The lingo in the community is to typically call them Tamas, if you feel like being hip. I'm going to get my Tama. Um, there are forums where people connect and talk about their pets, places to write obituaries for those who have died. The biggest site that I've come across is Tomatalk, which is also the oldest. It's been founded in 2004. There's a subreddit, Discord communities, Facebook groups, Instagram. There's like a niche Etsy market for like cases to go on your Tamas, weird accessories, like... I guess I read all this stuff about like how people picked up Tamagotchi in the, like during the pandemic as a way to combat like loneliness and also because of this rush of like 90s nostalgia. I just can't think of anything that has stuck around in that way. Like you can go to big name chains still and pick up a Tamagotchi and they're still like 15 to 20 bucks. When I was researching this episode, I found a podcast by two young women that were meeting once a week to talk about each of their tamas and how they were doing and they kind of just hung out and because like it was just talking uh, and that also included their tamagotchi and it, it it wasn't exciting to listen to but i think from a meta 
standpoint, that was very interesting to be like, wow, this is, this is just still happening. It was currently happening. Like this, this was, uh, yeah. I, I guess it, I could look it up if it's still being recorded. That was like one year ago. So maybe, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's it's just a very yep. um, loyal fan base. Okay. So let's begin our wrap up here. What of Yoko, Yoki, Yokoi, Yokio, Yokoi, I think it's Yokoi, and uh, Maita, the father and mother of uh, of the Tamagotchi. Um, Yokoi worked in the toy industry for a while. After the Tamagotchi, he wrote a couple of books. One he wrote in 1997 that was just kind of like, here's how the Tamagotchi was made. And then another in 2006 that I believe was an autobiography there in Japanese, so I had to get a little bit of help uh, translating those. Thanks to uh, Jeff and Andre for your help there. Um, there was a documentary made about him and his work on the project. It looks like he retired from Wiz Company in 2016, and I believe the whole industry, like I think he like retired, retired. Um, I couldn't find much on him afterward, likely because he's just fucking retired now, but I guess that he has a YouTube channel that updates occasionally. Um, it's pretty small. It had 155 subscribers at the time that I, I wrote this. Um, it seems like it's just a place where he just kind of talks to people about his time in the industry. But again, cause I don't speak Japanese. I couldn't really tell you much else. Um, Aki, uh, Maita faded from public view pretty quickly from what I can tell. Um, I, reading about her, it was kind of sad to me because, um, from what I can tell, and again, you know, it's hard for me to tell she was used as the face of the toy, but she got almost nothing out of it. Um, she didn't get a promotion. She didn't get a raise. She didn't get to move up at Bondi. A lot of older articles talk about her being one of the quote office ladies. Um, and that, that was just what she was, right? That she wasn't, oh, great, you did this thing. Well, you still don't have any chance at mobility. And um, I read an article on CNN that came out at the time, and even her husband uh, seemed to give her, like, the cold shoulder on it. Like, he didn't want to recognize her for this, like, great accomplishment. So here's the quote from the article. Quote, even her husband's reaction was muted. We don't talk about it at home, she says. He just said, gambate. And gambate basically means like, it could be done a couple of ways, but it's usually like, do your best or like, keep it up, right? So like, 83 million Tamagotchis sold in the world. And her husband's like, yeah, good job. See you at dinner. <laughs> like, like, so like, I, I, I don't know. And this is all I can read out of these articles. And who knows how much of it's true? Who knows how much of it's legend at this point? But it really doesn't seem like she got any kind of recognition for her part in it. Um, and after the craze ended, it's near impossible to find information on her. Um, supposedly, she is the manager for actress and singer Iku, Ikue Sakakibara, if I said that correctly. Ikue Sakakibara. That is the best that I have on her at present. So no, I don't know what happened to her. If anybody out there does, I'd be happy to hear about it. I had this, like when I did the research, I had I had this take on her. And that was like that um, Yohoi was the one that actually invented it. But Bandai wanted to get the IP from him um, and claim that he has no rights on it. So there was, I, I mean, your your sources seem to be more dense than my work. But it, it seemed like they just picked her to have someone that belongs to their own company to make the claim that they invented it. And I read that somewhere from someone. But then again, this is kind of sexist, right? 
Why shouldn't she have been similarly involved? Why shouldn't she get the same credit? Because maybe this is a lot about her being a woman. That's the kind of undercurrent that I got. And I don't want to put too much on people that I've never met that I'm just drawing inferences from stories. But yeah, it very much felt like, oh, well, she isn't allowed to have any recognition because she was just an office lady, right? And and that 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 always stuck with me. And, you know, but I think a big thing is, is I just do not know how much work she actually did or even how much work Yokoi did. And that, yeah, that's what I encountered too. Bandai did a good job at covering mm-hmm. all of that up. Yep. There's nothing left. So I try to peel back. I try to peel back the curtain a little bit and gaze into that void. And, you know, this, this is my hot take on it. So, so what's the legacy here? So I was reading this article on this site called uh, maze.io. Uh, which is a site I hadn't heard of, but I was doing some digging. And uh, I thought an interesting take that they had on it was, quote, in terms of the amount of attention they requested, the Tamagotchis, through regular beeps, Tamagotchis could be regarded as anticipators of our own relationship with smartphones, always interrupting our daily flow with notifications. Smartphones are addictive, energy demanding, and they hook us into complex guilt and FOMO trips. I would also say that, you know, it was a massive toy fad and it really solidified this idea of having virtual pets like they had been dabbled in before, but now it was normalized. And so, you know, things like the pet series, the creature series, um, Sims did an expansion called the Sims pets. Uh, I can't draw a one to one here, but like Neopets came a lot, not long after that. Um, that was like a web based uh, virtual pet platform that you could do stuff with. Nintendogs, as you mentioned, right? That DS game where you could like play with your dog and use voice commands. You could talk to them. But I like to think that a big hallmark of these things that was kind of pioneered from the Tamagotchi was this idea that the world goes on without you, even if you don't interact with it. Like it creates urgency and it exists even if you're not looking at it, right? Like it has a life of its own. And I think that there are some parallels to modern gaming in here, right? Like think about things like World of Warcraft or I guess like EverQuest at the time. This whole idea of, well, you have to be on or you'll miss it. And you have to be looking at it or don't blink or it's gone. And, you know, I think about how that has affected our modern idea of gaming. And I don't want to give the Tamagotchi full credit to this, but it was kind of a precursor to what was to come. Now, also, we've talked a lot about sexism in this episode, and I actually want to turn that on its head a little bit. And, I, and I've given a lot of shit to Bondi for their sexist advertising. Um, but I do think that this is an, an important point is to be made, kind of like we talked a little bit about in the Harvest Moon episode, is that this is one of the first video games, and I know I'm stretching the meaning of the term video game here, that was marketed specifically toward women. And so I was reading this article in Wired by Sebastian Skoy Anderson, and I thought that there were some relevant bits to it. I'm going to paraphrase him here. On one hand, it was problematic, right? It played into these gender stereotypes that basically said, well, if girls want to play video games, they can only do it in a nurturing role, in a caretaking role, like stereotypically female roles. But... On the other hand, there were good things that came out of it because now there are these video games. They're on shelves everywhere and they're for girls, right? And if you were a boy who wanted one, you had to walk into the girls section to get it, right? Like, And so 
suddenly it's normalized. Well, girls can play games too. Girls are allowed to enjoy these things too. So it's a mixed bag, i.e. the purpose of them was to be nurturing and caring, but there's progress there. And I think that's interesting to think about. All right. I've saved some time here at the end. Would you like to know how I got into these? Would you like to know my stories and stories from the community? Tell me your Tamagotchi story. All right. So I got swept up in these uh, to a smaller extent. I didn't go crazy with these, but the first one I had was a Giga Pet. And if I remember correctly, it had both a cat and a dog. I usually just picked the cat and played with it. I was like super into cats. I didn't care about dogs. Then someone gave me a gift and when I was a kid, and it was a Rugrats Giga Pet which sounds really weird because you're like, what? So I remember some vague things about this and I looked it up and apparently it could pick up on like sounds of your voice and you could tell the babies what to do. But I distinctly remember that this just did not work at all. And the box on the outside says, how many friends can you keep happy at once? Well, the answer for young Tyler was one. It wanted you to cycle through each of the babies and play games with them, but I thought that that was really stupid. And so I would just get the dog Spike from that show and I would only get the dog out and play with him. And all the kids would be like super unwashed and unhappy and super sad. And I did not care at all. I just wanted to play with Spike. So, like, I don't know what that means. Maybe I'm not cut out for parenting, but like, I never played with the babies because I thought they were dumb. I always find Vrakev's babies kind of spooky. Yeah, right? Though, Though Tommy was cool, but Charles freaked me out. I don't know. (laughs) Chucky? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But the crown jewel of my collection was something called a pocket Pikachu. So I mentioned this earlier that that Nintendo tried to dip their toes in a little bit. Um, I had a cousin. Well... Uh, he was my father's cousin and um, he's, he died many years ago. And, uh, but when I was younger, he lived in Japan for most of his life. And uh, he knew that I was into Pokemon. So one year he came home and he would bring me Christmas presents, just little things from Japan, like little toys or whatever. He brought me a pocket Pikachu and it was completely in Japanese. So, so that I'd be able to play with it, he sat down and translated the entire original manual for me so that I knew how to operate it. And so not only were Pocket Pikachu's just like slightly rare at the time that I got it, at least in my area, but I had a Japanese one. And so I was like the fucking coolest kid at school for a brief time because they'd go, whoa, you have a Pikachu and it's in Japanese, right? And so... What was neat about it was, is they built like a pedometer into it. You know, those little things that count your steps. And so as you walked around and you did stuff with it, you'd gain energy and you could spend that energy to do things. And I fucking loved this thing. And apparently they made a second generation of these that had a color screen and you could even link it up with the old Game Boy Color games. Like you could link it up with Pokemon Gold and Silver and give yourself items. Fucking wild, man. I would have lost my shit at the time. And I won't lie to you that I wanted to know how expensive it would be to get one of these. I thought, you know what? I'm in my 30s now. I never could have one of the cool color screen ones. I want to go get one. And they're fucking pricey, man. So uh, if any of you out there in the world has a Generation 2 Pocket Pikachu that has the full color screen and is in good condition and wants to sell it to me, send an email to codexrexpodcast at gmail.com. Prices on eBay are fucking ridiculous. How expensive are they? Okay, so they're they're not that Holy bad. Shit. Okay, okay, they are that bad. You can you can weigh them. 
they're, they're worth their weight, their weight in gold. <laughs> Broken ones that I sold were selling for like, I've seen them sell as cheaply as 20 bucks. Broken ones that I've seen now sell for about $40, maybe a little less. A working one that's in garbage condition I've seen for about 50. Uh, brand new in box I've seen anywhere from 100 to 350. Um, depending on the status of the box and how into it you are as a collector. Um, but I bring this up, this specific thing, not only to tell you my personal experiences with these things as kids, but I also realized that the Pocket Pikachu was a precursor to the Pokey Walker that came out when I was in college, I think like 2010. Yeah. Um, I This came out with Heart Gold and Soul Silver, and I wore mine proudly on college, my college campus. I didn't give a single fuck. You know, college is the time to figure out who you were. And I literally wore who I was on my sleeve. There's like all these pictures of me back from my college days where I have a fucking pokey walker on my belt. And one of the years that we had it, uh, the year it came out, I went to a convention in Baltimore, um, Maryland, and it's called Oticon. It's this big anime convention. And everybody had one. Everybody fucking had one, man. And so you'd run up to people and you'd be like, you want to link Pokewalkers? And your two critters would go and hang out with each other and they would go on an adventure. And once you did it enough times, it would go, went on an adventure. And my friend, a friend of mine named Cooper, he was there and we'd run up to people and we'd go, do you want to get, you want to link up? You want to link up? And then is like at the same time we would scream went on an adventure and these people thought we were nuts and we had an absolute fucking blast what a time to be alive awesome so anyway that's a precursor to pokemon go as we mentioned earlier but okay some stories from people who hang out in the discord that you may know uh, i'm using first names here and uh with the exception of one screen name uh before i tell you these i have to tell you I, start, I decided to do this episode because I saw something on a local subreddit that I'm on that was like, somebody lost their Tamagotchi at the community brewing center. And I'm willing to give it back to you if you can describe to me what it is. And I was like, that's the most specific Northwest thing I've ever read in my life. <laughs> I was like... I lost my Tamagotchi at the community brewing center. So I was like, do these things still fucking exist? And they do. And so what we did is we went online and we bought a couple of them. So I bought one. I bought one and a, I bought a Tamagotchi and a Digimon. Carrie bought a Tamagotchi and Alex has a common rider Tamagotchi that we'll talk about in a second. I saw it. That looks it's so, cool. so fucking cool. Okay. <clears throat> so if you've been in the discord and you've been watching us suddenly talk about Tamagotchis, this is why, because we have a couple now and we're keeping up with them and laughing about what weird evolutions we get. So, okay. Stories. Alex remembers having a knockoff virtual pet. The story goes that his mother picked it up for him on a shopping trip, but it was super glitchy and he couldn't keep it alive for more than three days. Like it would literally just reset itself at the three day mark. When we got new ones, <laughs> Alex got a common rider variant. It, as you mentioned, it seems really rad. He gets to like fight enemies that come onto the screen. And instead of dying, he cycles through a new common rider every couple of days because the old one has to go off to fight for justice. <laughs> it's a nice way. It's a nice way to end the life of the common rider. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh he's he's fighting for justice on a he's farm upst in upstate New York. <laughs> Where he can romp and play with his common rider friends <laughs> out in the field. <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> Carrie so- <laughs> says that she had a gigapet cat as a kid and she was super into the pets series on PC. Side note, she broke it out on Discord yesterday. It does not hold up. Um, but she used to try to get them to breed and make weird fur patterns. But she got one of the Gen, Ray, uh, the Gen 1 Tamagotchi remakes and it died like almost instantly. And I guess that if you feed it too many snacks it will cause death. Like they'll just die if you give them too many snacks. And so our friend Carrie teaches music to young children. And she said that in the middle of a lesson, a music lesson with a four-year-old, it began to beep violently. And she said she couldn't press any of the buttons. There was nothing she could do. The four-year-old like started screaming, what is happening? And she realized that it was dying and it slowly like beeped down to like a low (laughs) beep, boop, Boop, and like fucking flatlined and she just shoved it in her coat and hit it and continued the lesson she shoved the tamagotchi out of the screen and was like don't worry about it kid so she had to hide a tamagotchi death from a four-year-old this is like last week <laughs> okay okay smetanol says that he thinks he had one called <laughs> a dinky puppy (laughs) and it was a dog that would ride a virtual skateboard andre says quote i had a gigapet a pocket pikachu and eight tamagotchis total i mowed people's lawns for money to buy them he said that he wore them around a chain on his neck quote i was like flava flave but with tamagotchis instead of a big ass clock i wore them over my shirt until my school banned tamagotchis then i kept them under my shirt until the principal took them away from me and then i kept them in my locker and put my favorite one in my pocket nice john said i had a tamagotchi but got bored with it pretty quickly. The big story there for me, though, was in high school, there was a brief trend of girls who would only go on dates with guys who could keep a Tamagotchi alive for a day. He describes the girls as (laughs) proto-weebs, and I asked him what he meant by that. That's something one would say. I can absolutely see that. I asked him. It is. I asked him what he meant by that. And he said, I say this because the word weeb had not been developed in the same way that it was in the 90s. And he says, yes, I was one of the guys who took up the challenge and ended going up with, out with someone for a couple of months in sophomore year. <laughs> Proto-weebs. Oh, you're such a pro. Ah, yes, some proto-weebs. <laughs> I haven't developed into a full-fledged weed yet, but I'll get there. <laughs> uh, uh, okay. And let's let's end on a nice note. Okay, so Dave this, this wasn't this wasn't a nice note. This was the nicest note like any man. Fucking proto weeb. Fuck you, you're a proto weeb. You're not even a full weeb yet. You still have to grow into one. <laughs> okay, what do we got? Okay. okay. So this is this is from my friend David. Um so this is what he wrote. Some of this is review of things we already know, but I wanted to use all of his words in here. Okay. When I got into the Pokemon TCG around 97 or 98, 
It was crazy popular. Specifically, there was a Pikachu Tamagotchi that released in 98 that everyone got into, including myself. It was the hot item for a bit and everyone was into it. If I recall, it was because this version had a pedometer that played into the game and kids enjoyed that. Pikachu Fever was at its height in 1998 and the only modern analog that I can give is the release of Pokemon Go, albeit for a teenage 90s crowd. I think it felt like, to me, like it was one of the first really accessible products of this newly founded digital revolution that was happening all around us. It was just so cool for the time, but I think that everyone our age was enamored by anything digital like new Razer or Nokia phones, dial-up internet. The possibilities at the time felt endless because the internet didn't really have structure and the products that we received were totally unexpected. As a contrast, we now know exactly what iPhones, computers, etc. are coming years from now. So cool little devices like these felt like they were very unique, but connected you to the Pokemon hobby. And the reason I chose to end on his is because I think that he very much articulates the feeling of what it was like to be alive then and to have this limitless potential laid out before you for better or worse, right? Like your mother saw it as the end of all civilization as we know it. But some of us were like, wow, look at what technology can do. What is this world going to be like? I can get on the internet and talk to people. I can play games with other people who live in Germany, right? Like it was phenomenal. And so I, I really liked, I really liked his take on that. I think my mother did, did say that because she doesn't understand, she didn't understand what was going on and she just, yeah. she just rejected it as most of our parents' generation did. But sure. But this feeling of encountering this entirely new thing is something that we don't have anymore because if, now if we, uh, I think I, was it Video Game Donkey that did a good video on that, that you don't encounter new things anymore? It's always just crossovers. Everything is a crossover of something. So you, you, you never get the feeling of awe that you get by encountering something digital that is absolutely alien. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. It's true. And they're all just sort of iterations on previous things now, because that I mean that's how technology works, right? Like we iterate on previous things and, and change it around and tinker with it and try and make it better or worse, depending on the company. Um, yeah, I totally see that. No. And that was, that was what was cool about them. And I think that's a great way to put it, it, it is that it was awe inspiring. Right. So, so, so now to end, end on a low note, the only thing that we have left is just to, to be bitter about never being able to feel any real joy anymore because nothing really matters and everything we see is just a reiteration of things that we felt already and all the feelings that we have are just fake. So the only thing that we're left to do is cry and spend our hard-earned money in that job that bores us all day on buying a Tamagotchi that kind of looks like the thing that we had 12 years ago, but it's not the same thing. But we can pretend like <laughs> we are having those same feelings again, and we can pretend like we turn into proto-weeps that have not evolved into full weeps yet and encounter something <laughs> for the first time. But actually, we, we've all turned into real weeps, and we can't go back, man. We can't. Oh, yeah, all of us. <laughs> we can't go back to our larval proto-weeb form. <laughs> We've become beautiful and disgusting butterflies. <laughs> I, I want to thank John for that term. I will use it and I will, I will tell it to random people so they will start using it. Proto-weeb will become a term now. <laughs> this is where the meme started, right here, right now. Yeah.
on the Codex Rex podcast by somebody who isn't even on the show. Thanks, John. (laughs) Um, You know what I will say? Um, I was going to tease you for being so pessimistic at the end here. Uh, But I walked up to Andrea's office. I'll I'll open up a little bit to all of you here. I walked up to Andrea's office and I went, am I okay for the fact that I just spent an hour trying to track down a cheap color version of the pocket Pikachu and to figure out how I can get it? Like I'm technically unemployed. I'm living off savings until one of these professor jobs comes through. And I'm just so excited at the thought of having this stupid little keychain toy that I always wanted when I was like, 12 years old and like am i having like a midlife crisis or something and she's like no it's totally normal to want things that you couldn't have as a child because you were too poor like people do that all the time you're fine and i was like i don't know i'm worried i'm just gonna like impulse buy some like 70 dollars pikachu toy and she's like tyler you're great with your money don't worry about it do what you want man and i was like you're a fucking great partner <laughs> you you get mad props yeah, it's uh, the nostalgia. The nostalgia is really the hit, um, you know, and uh, it's it's pretty cool. So I've been joking, like, I take it with me everywhere because where do I go? But we, we went out to dinner the other night and, uh, I, you know, I, I make these dumbass jokes to Andrea and I'll be like, do you think we'll need a booster seat for our child? And she'll be like, what? And I'll pull the Tamagotchi out of my pants, you know, I'll pull, I'll pull it out of the pocket and she'll be like, Oh, shut up, Tyler. (laughs) Why do you do this? (laughs) And I'll be like, you know, table for three. (laughs) Just anyway, you gotta, you gotta lean into the absurdity of being in your thirties and being like, fuck yes, Tamagotchis. Okay. We have to get a new term. So we have the pot to weep. We have to weep. And then we have to find something for what you are. Because that's mm. that's the next evolution. <laughs> <laughs> post weeb. Post yeah, I'm in my post weeb phase. <laughs> yeah, post weebism. <laughs> well, class, we're going to talk about post weebism today. <laughs> Here's an example of a post weeb. See him here. He's got a business suit on and he's about ready to go to a high level interview to go work in DC, but secretly in his pocket, there's a beep. It's a Tamagotchi. It cries out for love, as does he. Ah, <sighs> what a fucking wild ride. Any last thoughts you got here, Docs? No, just that I want to thank you for doing the episode because I refuse to. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed this. I think, um, as I mentioned earlier, I've been kind of like writer's blocked on the N64 one. It'll come. Don't worry. I'm not going to give up on it. But I was just like, I need something just completely absurd. I just need a palate cleanser and then we'll get back to it. All right, friends. Thanks for listening. Um, We appreciate all of you. Uh, Be good to each other out there, okay? Have a good day. Have a good night. Take care. All right. Bye. Goodbye. Tamagotchis! <laughs>